Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. This week, we're going to talk about interest rates. Interest rates are on the minds of a lot of people out there, those that are looking to buy homes, those that are sitting on the sidelines wondering what's going to happen to the economy. So Josh, let's take a minute here and, and talk about interest rates. So you can make an argument both for interest rates going up and interest rates maybe moderating a little bit and potentially coming down. So I know we're going to talk about predictions and, and kind of give some insight on interest rates, but why don't we start by talking about where we started the year, kind of the trend we've been in for 40 years, and then we can kind of talk about it in a little bit more detail. Absolutely. So we started the year at a much lower point. Uh, people have talked and really rates have been somewhat flat for the last couple of months. So for the first four months of the year, it was just a straight line up. Um, we started the end of the year with conventional rates just over 3%, government loans, FHA and VA just under 3%. So very, very close to the all-time lows that we had hit during the pandemic, essentially at the all-time lows. Um, and we've now seen them run up the peak. Uh, I think we hit, uh, at least according to the Freddie Mac survey, which which has its flaws, but at least it's consistent over time and how it measures things, that it peaked over 6% down back down to the, the five and three quarters range uh, right now. But that's a pretty big move, Jeb. You know, two and a half, two and a half percent in interest rates over four or five months. And it's not just the size of the move. If you go back to the early 80s, if rates go from 10 to 12 and a half, it's a big move, but it's what a 25% increase in rates. We had a hundred percent increase yeah. in rates. And the thing is, it's a 32 increase in payment alone based on the numbers that we're looking at, you know, somewhere around 3.4% to start the year, sitting somewhere around 5.75% today. That's an increase in in just the payment alone. But once you factor in, okay, home prices have actually gone up about 10% from the beginning of the year where we started the year. So once you factor in that rise in prices and the rise in interest rates, I mean, some people out there looking at 40 to 50% increase in payment, which is tough. And, and, and we've seen it. It's effective, it affected affordability or it is affecting affordability, which is causing properties to sit a little bit longer. We're seeing the market slow a little bit. Um, but you know, what are we looking at, you know, historically with regards to rates? Because we've always been in this downtrend where, you know, we can look at the trend from 82 or, or whatever that year is, uh, that you're, you're going to reference here and say, okay, rates have always, um, you know, that the highs have always been lower trending down, um, with regards to rates. And so are we breaking that trend where we sit currently? Is there an opportunity to get back into that trend? So we absolutely have have broken the trend. So the question becomes, when we're talking 40 years, like you and I, Jeb, talk a lot about technical analysis and we're watching um, interest rates, you need a confirmation of a second day. Like if you break support or resistance, it, it can't just do it one day. It has to confirm on the following trading day. 
Well, now we're talking 40 years. So we definitely want to see some confirmation that this isn't a short-term blip. Um, if I were to hazard a guess, I would think that it is. But until we get back inside of that down channel, and it's important you know, for people, let, let's spell out exactly what you said there in the downtrend and what a down channel looks like. It means that every time that rates go up, the new high is lower than the last high. And then every time they trend back down, the new low is lower than the last low. So the reason why we're out of that channel is the current high in interest rates is a little bit higher than the last high in 2018, late 2018. And at that time, people were freaking out. Hey, is the 40-year bull run and interest rates over? And what happened? Rates corrected and came back down. So for a number of reasons, which we do not need to bore you with today, you know what, uh, what happened. Um, pandemic stimulus, supply chain issues, um, issues with Russia invading Ukraine impacting uh, worldwide supply chain. So inflation is much higher. Mm -hmm. Now you have to believe for, to, to think that, that that trend has changed, that this is a, a signal that, hey, that 40 year downtrend in interest rates is over and rates are either gonna go sideways or even trend higher going forward. You have to believe that inflation is with us um, permanently at, at a higher level. And there are some very smart people that believe exactly that. And there are some really smart people that believe the long-term trends that have been in place since 1980 are likely to continue uh, in, in the form of disinflationary forces, not deflationary where prices go down, but where they go up at a much lower level. If you remember prior to the pandemic, the Fed's stated goal was to get 2% inflation. For the last three, four, five years before the pandemic, they had a really, really hard time getting uh, inflation up to 2%. Now we're having a very, very hard time getting it anywhere near 2% on the downside. So that will be uh, the big question o over the next few years. Do we get back in that channel and does that downtrend continue? Got it. So for those of you know that are listening right now, what actually goes into interest rates? Like what affects interest rates, right? Because we know there's a lot of volatility out there. We know um, that the Fed is raising the Fed funds rate. We know that housing prices are high and there's a pe I mean, there's people out there that really believe that the Fed is there to crash the market to, you know, bring house prices down when, you know, you and I know that their job is to control inflation and, and control employment, right? And, and employment, we're sitting near all time lows. I mean, I, the, the most recent report that came out today, I think we're still at 3.6% uh, unemployment, which is is a very, very strong labor market. And so what the Fed is doing, are they doing it intentionally to affect interest rates or are they trying to get inflation under control that's ultimately, you know, playing its part on rates? And then what else goes into that, Josh? Well, the, the fact that we're having this question of what does the Fed do? What is their goal? What are their outcomes? We like to think that we live in a true free market economy. We don't because we have a central bank that manipulates uh, our economy. Is it free for the most part? Yes, it is. And the reason why I even go there is what impacts interest rates? Market forces, treasury bonds, uh, the, the debts of the US government are sold in the open markets and investors, both domestic and around the world, bid on those. When they bid really high prices, that means the yields or the interest rate that our government has to pay is much lower. 
So the same thing happens with mortgage-backed securities. Mortgages are packaged into bonds and also sold in the open markets. And when the markets pay a lot for them, that means that interest rates are lower. The yield or the interest rate that you pay is, is down. So what we've seen this year, what, what are markets looking for? They're looking for a real return, not a nominal return. And what that means is they don't care what the interest rate is. They care how much of a return above the rate of inflation that gets them. So when we're sitting here right now, as of as of today, we're right about 3.1, just under 3.1 on the 10-year Treasury, which Treasuries vary from three uh, three months to 30 years. So um, those those yields and interest rates vary, but the 10-year is what we look at most in the mortgage industry. That is sitting right just under 3.1. But inflation last month, depending on your preferred measure, is over 8%. That's a negative 5% real return. So you'd say, why would someone invest and think they're going to get a negative 5% real return? It tells us that the markets don't believe that inflation is going to stay at 8.6% for the next 10 years. They believe it's going to come down, and they believe it's going to come down under 3.1% so that they can get a real return. So if inflation returns to the, the, the objective of the Fed at 2%, that gives investors a 1.1% real return on their money for lending the U.S. government funds for 10 years. So... When we're looking at mortgage-backed securities, they follow closely to the 10-year treasury. The 10-year treasury is sort of the gold standard. The U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. So for investors around the world, it's the safest place to store your money. Now, if you want a little bit higher yield and you're willing to take on a little risk, you then look at mortgage-backed securities. So they are secured by real estate in the United States, one of the safest economies in the world. So investors will, will, will buy that and they'll pay uh, a little bit less for that, which results in a slightly uh, higher yield. And that's what we're seeing. So for us on a day-to-day -day basis, for you at home, the most important thing to watch is the 10-year treasury because the, the mortgage-backed securities are sort of like a dog on a leash to those 10-year treasuries. They're going to move in lockstep. Sometimes they get a little further away. Sometimes they get pulled back in closer. But they're going to move based off of how the 10-year treasury is, is moving. And Jeb kind of backtracking and saying about a free market economy, what did the Fed do? What did, what did the Fed do in, in the last financial crisis? What did they do here during COVID? They stepped into a free market economy where those treasuries and mortgage bonds are auctioned every day, and they became the primary buyer. On some days, the only buyers of those. So we had rates go lower than they should have, and they kept buying through this year. Like we talked about rates peaking at the end of last year. They were buying through this year. That's crazy. We had recovered from the shock of COVID and could deal with, again, having a free market for bonds, both on the treasury and the mortgage-backed security side. But that excess stimulus, in addition to supply chain issues and other excess stimulus, is what has pushed rates higher. And that's why I say I think this is a temporary blip. And temporary could be a couple of years. doesn't mean it's like, hey, three months, everything's going to be better. It could be two or three years before we normalize. But the problem is we didn't let market forces do their thing. If they had, interest rates would have been a half to 1% higher last year. So we would have been in the mid to high threes. And right now we'd probably be in the low fours. So right. depending on who you are, if you bought in 2020 and you got a 3% interest rate, you're stoked. If you're buying in 2022 and you're paying 5.5% and the price is 30% higher because of the stimulus of the prior two years, you start to realize why other things being equal, we would like the government or any other non-market forces to stay out of our markets. 
No, and, and and that makes sense. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about. I mean, we talk about you know rates kind of following the ten year and mortgage backed securities, but what actually? I mean, affects the prices of of that stuff, right? We talk about volatility in the market. We talk about a little bit about the Fed. You know, their their goal is to con control inflation, and they put out you know certain expectations in the market, and when the market thinks that the Fed is going to to do um, what the market is expecting. That volatility kind of subsides a little bit, and and typically speaking, it you know if it does what the market wants it to do, rates retrace in some ways. But when they don't do or don't follow through with the plan that the market wants them to do, we see excess volatility, right? We see excessive volatility, which in turn creates these big moves in in mortgage backed securities it puts these big moves in 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 treasuries and what have you and and in turn we see interest rates skyrocket and that's kind of what we saw in in the first quarter if you will of of this year of 2022 but since then you know the market has or or the fed has kind of maybe gotten a little bit more aggressive in some ways than than the market expected and and that's been a good thing so how is that playing into interest rates? Because you made mention earlier that the biggest increase that we saw this year really came in the first three months. And since then, we've kind of been in this, this trading range. So how is that affecting where we are now? And then we can kind of talk about what would cause interest rates maybe to move higher from this point and what would cause interest rates maybe to, you know, this be somewhere near the peak and potentially pull back. So the, the Fed goes to great pains to signal what they intend to do because they don't want to disturb the markets. Sometimes the issue with that is the markets don't like what they're signaling. So earlier in the year when rates were skyrocketing, they said, hey, we're going to stop buying mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And the market said, guys, you, you should have done this six months ago. And if you're going to do it, you need to do it much faster. So the market reacted. Um, they actually, back in the 80s, they called it the bond market vigilantes. When they didn't like what the economy was doing, what the Fed was doing, um, the bond market sort of reacted and took matters into their own hands. And that's what we had happen the first part of the year here, where the, the markets just reacted and said, we're going to push yields higher because we think the Fed's losing control of inflation. So the Fed sort of picked up the pace we had one half point hike and they implied that they were going to continue with half point hikes and what did we see in june the expectation or i guess really more accurately the hope was that we were going to get a more mild inflation reading still much hotter than anyone wanted but more mild they were expecting 8.3 percent cpi and it came in at 8.6 percent and what immediately happened is the market said Ah, these idiots at the Fed, they still don't get it. So yields shoot up over the next two or three days. And we were lucky last month that the that the CPI figure came out on Friday and we had a Fed meeting uh, Tuesday, Wednesday and a Fed announcement. And the Fed was able to leak through the weekend and Monday, Tuesday, hey, we're going to do 75 basis points. So instead of 50, we're going to hike 75. And the markets liked that. So from that time, the 10-year treasury peaked at around three and a quarter and went all the way as low as 2.84, 2.89. I don't have it right in front of me, but almost a half percent decrease in 10-year treasury yields 
after the Fed did that. And then we're we're seeing numbers. We had a, a fairly strong employment report today that if that were showing weakness, other economic weakness, maybe the Fed would have to back off. It's pretty clear that in two weeks, two and a half weeks, when we have the next Fed meeting, they're going to do another three quarters of a point. So the market's going to like that. So when you say, what does it mean for our interest rates going forward? It means that the market has kind of said, Three and a quarter is about a cap on the 10-year treasury as long as we believe the Fed is doing what they should and inflation figures improve even if it's at a slower rate than what we would like. So that's what we're looking at the rest of the year. Do the do the economic readings, are they strong enough that the Fed can keep hiking at the, the, the strong pace that they want to? But are we at the same time seeing inflation figures moderate so that it appears to be having the impact that the markets want? So for those listening, I'm going to ask a question that that I think a lot of people don't truly understand the answer to. So I, I think that's I mean, I, I want to make it clear here. So when the Fed hikes the Fed funds rate, right, when they do this three quarter percent hike that, you know, we I think we'd all like to see um, this month in, in July when they meet at the end of the month. Does that mean interest rates have to move? you know, up with that Fed funds rate or can the two move adversely, right? I mean, I think when people hear all the Fed has raised the rates, the expectation amongst, you know, the general population is, oh, interest rates went up. That's not the reality. But, you know, what happens typically, Josh, when when the Fed does these these interest rate hikes of, say, half percent or three quarters of a percent? So markets are forward looking. They are trying to anticipate what's going to happen. And we said just a few minutes ago, the Fed likes to telegraph, hey, this is what we intend to do. So for all intents and purposes, that three quarter point hike at the end of the month is baked into the cake, absent additional data coming in over the next two, two and a half weeks. So next Friday, if we get a super hot CPI reading, maybe the Fed has to go a percent. If you get a really moderate CPI reading, which no one in the world is expecting, say it drops down to 7% from 8.6%, maybe they go, whoa, it's, it's deceler- inflation is decelerating maybe even faster than we want. We can go at a half point or a quarter point. Um, so that is, is what happens with what the Fed is likely to do and how it's already priced into the market for other rates because uh, other rates, primarily for us in this conversation, mortgage rates. And the reason why we want to differentiate that is the Fed, other than the prime rate, um, which is tied to home equity lines of credit and credit cards, they do not directly dictate consumer rates. When they increase their overnight lending rate, that impacts the cost of funds to banks. So it'll work its way through the system in the form of higher rates on auto loans uh, and other things. Credit cards, that sort of thing. Yeah, but the only one they directly control is is the prime rate. So if you have a home equity line of credit, it hasn't gone on, or it did go up three quarters of a percent last month. When they act at the end of this month, and they raise it three quarters of a percent again, your home equity line of credit is going to go up again. That will happen, and it has not been priced into the market. But if you were shopping for a home a week ago, and you're shopping for a home today, and you might not get one under contract t- till next week and look to lock it, for the most part, the market is already priced in that three quarters of a point uh, increase coming at the end of the month. Got it. So, you know, I think that's helpful for for a lot of people listening. So let's talk about the idea. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit here. Um, what would cause interest rates to move higher at this point? 
It just real simple. Like if you know, inflation, we think... inflation going even higher, Jeb. So it, okay. that we look at that number 8.6 last month and the markets looked and eyes bugged out and said, whoa, what the heck? If we get a 9% figure, rates rates can and, and, and would go higher. You know, we said we think three and a quarter on the 10 year treasury is probably the ceiling as long as inflation stays under control. If it doesn't, the next real technical support is at like 3.65. So it's another almost half percent higher in rates. And that creates volatility, which we've talked about a little bit. And that's, you know, the market doing something different than expectations, right? So that creates that volatility, which in turn, you know, translates to higher rates. Now, the, the next thing that could be is if the Fed doesn't, you know, they decide to take their step, their foot off the, the gas, if you will, right? So if they decide, hey, listen, inflation's not as bad as as we thought, because they get a, a lower inflation reading next week, which obviously we don't think is going to be the the case. Uh, but they could say, hey, listen, you know, we're not going to do that, that three quarter percent hike or even maybe the half percent. We do a quarter. That could be a negative for the markets. Right. Because, again, the Fed isn't following through with the expectations of the market and in turn leads to higher rates. So. What on the other side, what what could cause interest rates to actually this to be the peak, if you will. Right. So, you know, the peak in the sense that interest rates are in eight, a quarter from from the, the height. I mean, from from the peak at this point, like we don't see any additional readings higher than what we've already seen. That means that you can see some movement in the markets. When I say this, like, you know, if today rates are at five point seven five and they go up to six but we've seen as high as six and a quarter, we're not really increasing rates. We're just kind of still trading in that range. So what creates the peak at this point, Josh, and, and allows interest rates to maybe move downward in the future? So for the most part, bad news for the economy is good news for interest rates. So we hear a lot of talk about recession. Um, and what goes into that? What are the measures that add up to a recession? When is it called? How is it defined? So without going into that, Anything that looks recessionary, like the economy is slowing, will be positive for interest rates. Um, the, the exception to that, the one thing that's good for the economy is inflation moderating. So that would also, that while that would be good for the economy and, and good for stocks, it would also be good for bonds. So those are the things that you, you want to see. Um, or don't want to see, you know, as we head to a recession from the interest rate perspective, that's a positive that will put a lid on rates and, and bring them down. You know, we've heard a lot of talk about stagflation, which is a combination of inflation and a slowing economy. And it looks like to a degree we're headed towards that. It got a very bad name in the early 80s because we had very high inflation and a pretty heavy recession uh, that came with it. Most experts that you and I follow do believe we're going to see a recession in the next year. They do believe it's going to be fairly mild. And most of the experts we follow also think that recession, that inflation will moderate over the next few years. So technically, will there be stagflation? Yes, there will. But things appear to be somewhere near the peak and starting to move in the right direction. Right. And on top of that, maybe the Fed gets a little bit more aggressive than what the market wants to see. I think because the Fed took so long to to react um, and start raising the Fed funds rate and start reducing the the balance, you know, their balance sheet with regards to mortgage backed securities and what have you, that if they come out now and, you know, they've they've said their primary concern is to control inflation, right, that they're going to do it and that if if the economy uh, suffers a bit, if you will, 
then so be it because that's what their their primary objective is. So I think if they're they're able to come out and be a little bit more aggressive, maybe that helps reach out. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, because it's going again, what happens um that is a break on the economy and we've talked before. The Fed almost always stimulates too long into a recovery right. and then um, puts their foot too hard on the brake as things are slowing down. So if that leads or increases uh, the recessionary forces and slows the economy, it will be good for interest rates. Um, but the, the big wild card and the thing that our Fed does not control nearly as much as they have in the past is inflation, largely because we have a globalized economy. We have problems with supply chains everywhere, exacerbated by the situation with Russia and Ukraine. And we also have uh, a party in the White House that does not care that fuel prices are incredibly high. Every time this has happened in the past, they have done the, the government, whoever's in office, wanting to get reelected, wants to re remove pain from the people. And we're now, what, seven months, eight months into really high fuel prices. And they have made it very clear that, no, we're not going to increase uh, leases for, for drilling. We're not going to increase permits for, uh, for pipelines, things of that sort. And even if they did, they've made it so clear, like you and I talked the other day that even if the government said hey we're cool for the next two years we're going to take away every restriction we put in place and we're going to go back to everything that trump did the oil companies still would not react to that because it's been made clear to them that an investment that's going to take 15 to 20 to 30 years to pay off for them if they make it today once things normalize the government's going to go back to trying to squeeze them uh, again so investors in oil refining in in fossil fuels have, have seen the writing on the wall. So it's going to be very hard to bring fuel costs down in addition to the stuff that we have going on around the world that our government doesn't necessarily control. So those are the factors that would lead uh, us to believe that inflation is probably going to be a little higher than it was in the past, even once it's brought under control. No, good stuff. So for to, to finalize here and, and kind of summarize, if you will, you know, somebody's thinking of buying a house in the next six months. Um, what are your thoughts on rates? Um, and maybe even a recommendation, do people float rates now or should they be locking rates just because of the volatility in the market? Um, let's, let's end with that. There's, there's too much uncertainty here. Like we, um, we floated a client earlier this week and went through with her and she had a risk tolerance and a comfort level. Um, and as of today, if we end where it looks like we're going to end today with mortgage-backed securities under the 25-day moving average, um, we're going to call it a losing bet and just, just lock it. Um, so for most people, unless you have a really high risk tolerance, you should go ahead and lock. And right now today, if a new client pops up and sends over a contract, I would absolutely say lock because we're, we're probably going to lose that 25-day moving average. It just tells us in the short run, rates are likely to get a little bit worse, even though in the context of our conversation, we're probably going to go sideways in this narrow range that we've been in. Got it. So uh, for those of you out there listening, hopefully it's helpful to understand you know, how interest rates adjust, kind of the predictions. I mean, without giving you a, a hard, fast uh, answer on, hey, this is where rates are going, a lot of it has to do with volatility. So if you think volatility is going to subside a little bit, um, then there's a you know a really good opportunity for for this to be the short term or maybe even the long term peak in in rates and and rates to trade sideways. But if you think we're going to continue to see volatility and continue to see high inflation numbers and continue to see you know 
turmoil in, in the markets, then there's an opportunity for, for rates to go higher. So if you're wondering how that impacts housing prices, what the future looks like, we actually recorded an episode, I think two episodes ago, where we give you a mid-year forecast, you know, go into detail about expectations for the future, you know, between Josh and I, kind of what we're thinking the market looks like in, you know, three, six months from now. So go check that out. Um, but in the meantime, we would appreciate if you rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to. But until then, we appreciate you. We appreciate you listening. We will uh, see you again next week. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.